Hello, ladies and gents. Hope you're well. Hope you're keeping safe. Very quick intro. This was the audio from a very special and amazing live podcast that was especially put on for Mental Health Awareness Week. It involves a breathing exercise in the last five minutes, so feel free to join in if you're listening. But we have a great panel. There's just real open, honest conversation about mental challenges that recruiters are facing, practical advice that sort of you can use to equip yourself with better tools and habits that can help you deal with the mental challenges. So just really happy with how this turned out. Really excited for you to listen. And we even managed to raise £130 for some great charities as well. I hope you enjoy it. Hi, everyone. My name's Michelle. I am a recruiter turned health coach. So 24 years in recruitment and more recently have become a certified health coach to basically help keep recruiters happy and healthy. We're having some technical difficulties. Love that. No, okay, you're good. You're good. Rhonda? Okay, cool. <laughs> Morning, everybody. I'm Rhonda D'Ambrosio. Um, yet yeah, started in the industry back in '97. Um, have done all manner of jobs in recruitment, um, from the resource and element right through to running my own business and other people's businesses. Um, I now work with recruitment businesses on quality of thinking and growth mindset. Um, I'm transformation director at Ebenable, and I'm the founder of Mental Health in Recruitment. Thinking of adding the Mother of Dragons label as well because I've got so many different hats. <laughs> Love that. Emma? Hi, I'm Emma Dredge. I too spent a long time in recruitment, a lifer, almost 23 years. Um, again, contract, permanent, in-house, did it all, ran my own business, recruitment business as well. Um, and uh, I now teach mindfulness in a no-nonsense, no-fluff, no-woo-woo kind of way. So most recruiters aren't into that kind of stuff, <laughs> or not. So, uh, yeah, and I teach that and speak about that all over the UK. Love that. Thank you, Emma. Great to have you here. Last but not least, Katie Maycock. Thank you. Well, as Hashem just said, I'm Katie Maycock. I am the founder of Get Your Shit Together Literally and Figuratively. I actually spent around 10 years in and out of corporate sales, and a lot of that was in recruitment where I personally burnt out twice. So now what I do is I work with companies in particular, recruitment companies talking about the impact that stress and anxiety has on the body as well as the mind. So I help people manage the stress of it because as we all know, recruitment's a bit of a roller coaster. So mm-hmm. I help with that. Awesome. <laughs> well yeah, look, Kay, thank you for joining us. And as I said, we can hear you loud and clear. So um all good. So look, what I wanted to kick this off with is um just a bit of a a big question a question that was submitted by marie but i think it's important i think particularly with you guys with what you do i think you always hear and see people talk about how we shouldn't be talking about mental health just for a week right Mm. And, and i think that's fair but i think at the same time i think it's great that people go above and beyond to try and talk about it more or do things this week so i don't think that's a bad thing but a question that i want to come to you Rhonda, first and it's submitted by uh marie Prendergast, which was basically how can we make sure that mental health um, is, is being discussed, is being spoken about in a culture of a recruitment business more than just this week? Like, how do we make it? How do how can we start making sure that it's not just the this week that we think about it, speak about it, and and sort of do things with it? So let's just start there. 
Cool. Um, great question, Marie. Um, I know that we'll probably have some opposing views on this, but for me, it has to start with intent. Before we can drive the action on an ongoing basis, there has to be commitment from the business, from the leadership. And, you know, the way in which I would recommend is identifying champions. So I think a recruitment business needs to set out their intent to obviously get on board with this and identify those champions throughout, but including and especially at the top. Okay. Like that. Michelle? Absolutely, completely agree with that. The senior people have got to be leading that. If they are sort of sending emails late at night, then that's going to sort of encourage the, the more junior people to have to respond to them. So completely agree it's with that. But also it doesn't have to be major things. It can be small little changes. The same as you kind of commit to having your sprints every day, go, okay, put in some small things that actually about encouraging mental health. So whether that's you do your one-to-ones walking instead of sitting in an office or instead of constantly bringing in kind of sweets and donuts and beers, which I'm <laughs> not saying never do that, but maybe not every day, maybe get the fruit basket in because we are what we eat. So I think that sometimes people think it's got to be massive changes and actually small ones can be as, as significant. Yeah, I love that. Um, anything to add? Yeah, it's kind of a mix of the two, really. It's the intention um, from the leadership team to say, like, this is something we are implementing. This is something we want. This is something we genuinely care about. Mm. Um, And then it's making sure that those small changes that you implement are followed through. Like, you know, we know how many recruiters work through their lunch break. And I saw one company who said, like, basically, they're not allowed. They, They created a lovely area where people could go and sit for lunch. And you weren't allowed to work while you were eating your lunch. Your lunch yeah, wasn't allowed that. to be eaten at your desk. And like by saying that as the rule, then it becomes the norm. And yeah, it yeah. encourages everyone to have that break. So uh, definitely with those. And uh, again, with Rhonda, um, having ambassadors, so mental health first aiders, um, mm. people in the company who are openly talking about it and you're allowed to you know, approach and have those you know, sometimes difficult conversations to say, well, I'm not coping at the moment or, mm. hey, I'm doing really well and this is what I've been doing. So can we share that with everyone? You know, it's not yeah. always the bad side. It's about sharing that good side of stuff too, what's working for people. Yeah, I love that. Katie, what have you seen businesses uh, do well or people you spoke to just to add to that? Yeah, so I think one of the biggest things that I... I oh, no. <laughs> I always talk about... Kate, we can hear you, but it's a bit delayed. News is actually understood. Oh, no. <laughs> oh dear. Kate, you've broken that. You've broken up. A message. Sorry. As you can see the message. Um, Standing that it has to come from the top down. Okay, that's, that's not ideal. Um, <laughs> it's interesting what's happening on my side. Yeah, can we, we can, but it's it, it, it's definitely delayed. Like it's breaking up. Which is annoying because obviously you're just you're just speaking fine. Um, do you, Kate, do you want to give that another go, and I'll I'll move on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Does it? Can you hear me now? We can, but it's just yeah. It's nah. delayed. Do you know what? Just it's... move on, and hopefully it'll keep in. Okay. All right. Cool. Appreciate pop that. Pop it in Sorry. the chat, Katie. Pop yeah. it in the chat. You can pop it in the the presenter chat at, at the top. It's just a bit harder because I can't see your face. So I'm trying to, I don't know if you're going to speak again or whatever, but um, so look, what as we sort of plan together, um, how 
how we're going to sort of go through this today. One, as you guys are watching this, feel free to ask your questions as we're talking. But we sort of identified together that there's like we want to talk about the common challenges that you guys are hearing um, and speaking to recruiters about. Um, We wanted to start there because for me, obviously, a lot of recruiters can think and assume that the challenges they're facing, if that's mentally, if that's professionally, whatever it may be, are just unique to them and having obviously speaking to loads of recruiters every day with what I do I know that's definitely not the case so I wanted to really start and sort of make sure that people are aware of the common challenges that people are facing so we sort of identified um a couple of the the ones that you guys hear a lot of so look Emma let me let me come to you first I think it's a it's a big one and sort of one of the things that we identified together and what you was really keen to speak about was some of the sort of mental challenges that you're hearing or people face being on furlough so yeah. I guess why don't you sort of kick it off sort of talk a bit about that and then we can chip in or add anything to it as we, as we go through it yeah perfect yeah so it was it was interesting because when it all first happened um the the, the nervousness and the uncertainty come up of like am I going to be furloughed what does furlough actually mean like you know do I want to be furloughed? Do I don't? Do, yeah, no one really understood it very well. So that bred its own sort of challenges. Sure. As we've moved through it um, and more people have been furloughed, the, the, the challenges that are coming up are, are interesting. It's like some people are, it's the guilt, the guilt that I'm yeah. furloughed and, and I'm I'm not having to work and my colleagues who are having to work are, are doing it all. Um, the guilt, uh, you know, we're not used to not doing anything. We're used to being productive and, and create, you know, getting on the phones and doing it all. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, my God, I'm I'm sitting in the sunshine having a beer at three o'clock. You know? <laughs> and as nice as that is, initially, it does start to, to you know, the, the guilt does often kick in. Um, the other areas of fellow is it's like there's a, an element of why not me? Why wasn't I one of the chosen ones to yeah. keep this business going? You know, I was doing really well. I was like hitting all my targets. I thought, you know, the management liked me. I had some good clients. Um, so why have they kept that person working and not me? Uh, does that mean I'm not as valuable to them? Does that mean I'm not as good as I thought I was? Mm. Um, um, and then there's the the that future uncertainty. Like, so okay, so I've been I'm, I'm on furlough. What does that mean? Like, if the business doesn't do well. Yeah. Does that Where mean does that I'm going to be the first one cut? Yeah. Does it mean I'm going to be made redundant? Um, what's going to happen to my client base? You know, it's all of this this sort of stuff is is coming up for people. Yeah, and sort of Michelle, what like what have you been? Because I think from what I've been hearing, like it's like businesses or well, better businesses have try to really make sure they have touch points and communications with their staff that are furloughed and and definitely part of that is the sort of check-ins if that's around mental well-being or whatever so I'm sure some of you guys have been involved with some people that are on furlough whatever but what 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 have you sort of picked up on absolutely I think that there's sort of the assumption that if you're on furlough that's great and Mm -hmm. as Emma was saying for some people that is brilliant but actually, for some people, potentially, if they're self-isolating on their own, they've lost their sense of purpose. What am I going to do all day? Once I've kind of painted the walls and done the garden, what else is left to do? 
So when I'm working with the recruiters and the business leaders, it's really important to not forget those people and go, well, they're not allowed to work for the business. So therefore, I don't have to speak to them until they walk back through the door. So one thing that I encourage is regular check-ins with them. They are still part of the business getting them involved in whatever activities you've got going on, the quizzes or the scavenger hunts or whatever that might be, um, so that they still feel part of it. And some companies are actually doing sort of, I've done specific talks for the people who are on furlough, just for them, so we can talk about the things that they're really feeling. Um, So it's two sides because you've got the pressure on the people who are still working to keep the business going and get the furlough people back in as quickly as possible. And then you've got the furlough people who it sounds like it's a nice thing and it's great that the government is making sure people can get paid, but fundamentally you've just ripped out kind of their whole routine and what it is that they basically do for 10 yeah. hours a day. I, f- I think also it's, um, I mean, my, my, my girlfriend got put, got put on furlough pretty much from the first week it was available. And it, I mean, it's a long time. Yeah. Like if we've like, that's a long time, like for obviously I've I've sort of seen the journey that she's been on. It's been a roller coaster, like hundred percent. It's been really bad days, some really good days, but it's it's definitely up and down. Uh, and I think early on it can be like, yeah, sweet, eight percent. No, I'm never going to get this opportunity to get to do this again. I've signed up for this course, going to learn a new yeah. language, going to do this, do that. And then the guilt can trick in with that as well, can't it, Emma? When you end up actually looking back on your day, it's like, fuck, I've got the beer out at 2 p.m. this day today instead. Yeah. <laughs> and it's yeah. like, yeah, so, and yeah, yeah. <laughs> it does, it, and it, it does, and then it's that thing of the them and us as well. That's a lot I keep hearing as well. It's like the them and us, like yeah. they're the workers, they're getting looked after. And, and so friendships that they even had, you know, or colleague friendships have kind of, felt slightly frayed because mm. you know as you said if you're a furloughed person phoning up you know and happens to be talking to your non-furloughed friend going yeah man we'd like went for a walk today I was really bored went for a walk with the dog <laughs> and then like yeah. I did some gardening but like god I'm just like so bored and they're going like holy shit I've got a target to hit and like we're not getting anywhere and I've been on the phone all day and da, 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 da. it's it, it mm. adds pressure to those relationships really does okay all right so Obviously, yeah. So de- definitely plenty of challenges you hear in being on furlough. Mm-hmm. I think R- Rhonda, let me come to you on the next one, and then Kate, I'll get your input on this. I haven't forgotten about you, trust me. Um, so, so Rhonda, obviously, one of the things that we identified and that you was really keen to speak about, and I think this sort of ties in quite nicely with this, because it was all about balance of handling the pressure and being productive. Because I mm-hmm. think that's even true being on furlough as well. Do you know what I mean? So I guess what what have you been hearing and speaking to recruiters about that have been sort of combating that hand in pressure and also being productive? Yeah, it's um, we're all in this very different situation with a different set of circumstances that are impacting us right now. And there is the pressure to perform. Um, because there is a a level of anxiety around what will happen. Will I get furloughed? Just tying that back to that. There is a, um, we've never worked in this way before for the majority of recruitment businesses. So, you know, I need to do my very best, but how do I do that? Because nobody's talking, nobody wants to speak to me, nobody wants to give me jobs. And for a huge proportion um, of recruiters, there is a parental responsibility whereby they have to look after the kids. They're trying to homeschool the kids. And if they're young, how do you do that you know how do you balance the pressure of your family life and obligations along with the pressure of trying to perform in the workplace and and do the best that you can do 
And, mm-hmm. you know, I've, I've heard a few of us have touched upon this in different ways. Um, Michelle referenced Zoom fatigue. I call it the remote work acuity, whereby when we're doing so many of these video calls, we are straining because it's difficult to build those levels of relationship, build rapport. You know, you're trying to read how people are responding. So <laughs> there's there's almost an anxiety of am I being taken in the right way? Do people agree with me? Because the nonverbal communication is so uh, <laughs> we take it for granted we absolutely take yeah. it for granted i messaged someone yesterday about look let me go old school and give you a call on the mobile and they really yeah. appreciated it <laughs> you know what I, i'm i'm doing exactly that because that the, 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 talking about the pressure and the conversations that i'm having it's do we need to be on all of the time you know i've got mm. to be on my video so you know there is a first of all people need to be kind to themselves and you know, take a little bit of a break in their thinking for a, for a multitude of reasons. Um, when you work from home, typically you're more productive because you don't have the same amount of distraction that you would get in a conventional office space. Mm-hmm. So you have to really measure that level of productivity with taking the right amount of breaks. And Michelle mentioned sprints earlier on. Emma's talked about the, the that anxiety of oh, the, the disparity between those on furlough, those not on furlough. You know, we've got to be kind to ourselves and we've got to really just make sure that, you know, yes, it's OK. And that really, for me, you know, ties into what we're going to talk about around the practical tools as well um, yeah. and advice. But nice. it's, it's it's a common theme. But what I would say in comparison to that, I'm talking to business owners and business leaders that are very aware of it. And I did some work for a company last week whereby they wanted their people to know that they understood the pressures they were under and they didn't yeah. want to apply even more pressure onto them, which I just thought was fantastic. Mm. Now, I, th- I think that's... I think we spoke about this before, Rhonda, obviously, especially recruiters listen now that they will have high standards of themselves. They they will sort of want to make the most out of what's going on. And there, there's also that internal pressure and, and sort of, and then on top of that, do, does my company um, need me to do this? I'm worried about not doing this for them and, and that added pressure as well. Um, Katie, what have you been hearing on this then in terms of that sort of balance of handling the pressure and being productive? What conversations have you been having? Yeah, so hopefully you can hear me. I've got my fingers yeah. crossed. Oh, fantastic. Um, so I guess a lot of the conversations I am having is really similar. How do we manage the people on furlough? How do we manage the people that are off furlough? And I think the element is I've been speaking to recruiters and companies um, and leaders of the companies talking a lot about how do we not burn out right now? And I think that there is this pressure to be able to perform. So the people that are still working. They're trying to perform the best that they can. They've got kids at home. Um, they've got partners at home. And then also it's a lot more stressful because people aren't hiring. People aren't placing jobs. So there's this element of, I know I can't be doing too much. I want to be productive, but I don't know what to be productive on. And I think that there's this, you know, there's a guilt of not doing enough work, but then also the guilt of what can I do? So a lot of the stuff that we've, that I've been talking about is, hey, actually, let's focus on a little bit about what can we do right now to help the mental health of our of the team? How can we actually help the people on furlough? I've actually been working with companies on doing mental health check-ins with staff on furlough, going actually like, hey, let's actually bring them in. Let's actually do a whole group thing because they're allowed to do the training. They're allowed to come to yeah, these yeah. sessions. So I've been, you know, I've been doing a bit of that and checking in with the mental health and also talking to the people on what you can actually be doing and actually focusing on small goals, not the big goal and not focusing on what we can't control, focusing on what we can control today. And actually at the end of the day going, you know, being able to put your head on the pillow going, do you know what? I've done enough. 
and, yeah. and that's okay. And one of the biggest things that I'm talking to people about is, hey, we're in a really weird time in the world. We need to make sure that we're physically and mentally and emotionally fit right now as well as for when we come back. So that's what yeah. I'm talking to a lot of people about. And I love that. And, um, yeah, heard you, heard you loud and clear, Katie. Absolutely fine. Um, but that that uh, segues quite nicely into, Michelle, what you wanted to talk about and the things that you've been talking about. Katie talking there about putting your head on the pillow and feel like you, feeling like you've had a good day. Well, you've been speaking to a lot of people who have been putting their head on the pillow and they haven't been able to get to sleep. <laughs> so yeah, why don't you yeah. talk a bit about that? Because that, I mean, my biggest challenge has definitely been switching off and that definitely couples into putting my head on the pillow and then I'm thinking I've got all these fucking ideas swirling around my head and I can't get to sleep and then I'll need to write things down. So like, yeah, just talk a bit about because I don't want people to feel like it's just them that can't sleep right now or finding it harder to sleep. Yeah, absolutely. It's probably one of the biggest things that when I've been doing sort of my talks to recruitment businesses or doing the one-to-one coaching with people and they're sort of coming up and asking me questions, sleep is coming up time and time again. Firstly, can't get to sleep. Secondly, waking up in that danger zone between two and four. And thirdly, which is a new one, but it's happening a lot, is really bad dreams. People are having kind of not just kind of like normal dreams, but actually quite vivid dreams. So what I'm doing, I'm actually explaining to them the science of what happens during your sleep, um, what happens at different points of your sleep, so that at least they understand why it is that suddenly their sleep is so different. Um, making them realize that they are not on their own is something that people are talking about all of the time. And fundamentally, if we don't get a good night's sleep, we all know that we wake up feeling rotten the next day. The idea of picking up the phone and making some BD calls or sort of doing some reference calls or whatever it might be is just like, I am too tired. So for me, it's kind of almost like, let's not worry so much about whilst we're awake. Let's focus on that nighttime whilst we're asleep get that right and then everything else just becomes that bit easier yeah okay so i'm interested my i'm having trouble with my daughter not sleeping so she's 10 and um she's developed you know she's developing the inability to get to sleep as well as she could and we're doing all the things you know teach mindfulness you know (laughs) and it's not fucking working and you know I think what happens with her and I'm sure it happens with um you know adults as well is that the pressure to get that sleep because we know how important it is yeah she's saying to me like I don't want to be horrible tomorrow I don't want to be moody tomorrow I don't want to be grumpy tomorrow I won't be able to concentrate tomorrow you know and then that adds to the pressure so it's and it's the same when in this it's like you're going right I can't get to sleep shit I need to get to sleep I've got a big call tomorrow oh my god I can't get to sleep as soon as you get caught in that loop you're in trouble isn't you that's it really really I mean I I've learned the tools and you guys I'm sure have as well that just how to to get out of that loop and Mm. to enable yourself to sleep but it is other things like Michelle will probably know more about it with the health side of things yeah yeah there's a lot in there so look really excited now to just sort of segue into sort of practical tools and advice but just quickly people might be thinking oh I'd love to know Emma what you do before you get to sleep or what's your sort of before bed routines let's just talk about it because I think there might be some real practical things or useful things I guess you really want to know I'll do the edited version shall I yeah let's just think about that what what why don't we just like what's been one of the best things that you've done that's sort of helped you or helped you with your sleep routine or 
get getting to sleep maybe over the past couple of weeks or just that you've aside from um, drinking from 2 p.m. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah for me I, you know I have to get out I have to get out of the house I have to have been away from my computer I have to have shut it all down I have to write down everything that I need to do so it's all out of my head but yeah. for me the big thing is going is is writing things down that I need to do so that it's out of my head and going for a walk, like, and a yeah. good walk. I'm not just talking like five minutes around the block. I'm talking like a good being outside, lungfuls of fresh air um, yeah. and really having that energy or the vibe cries or whatever it is that you like to do, just to sort of burn off some of that energy that's been trapped in your body while you're sitting at your desk all day. Yeah, no, write, writing down sort of what, what your intentions are for the next day definitely helps me. Yeah. R- Rhonda, what, what sort of helps you? I, I would say I do I do two things. Um, I don't necessarily write down my intentions for the next day, but I make peace with the day that I've had. Nice, so like I kind of close the day off. Um, it's like re- reconcile. I can't I can't can't do anything now to impact what has been. I now need yeah. to just shut down, ready to back it up for the brain to do what it does, and then yeah. that. And I also, and do, do you like write? Do you write? Do you, I don't know. Do you write something down, or, have you, or is that just you, you doing that mentally, saying, "Right, yeah. okay, Rhonda, I've done everything I can today." Yeah, absolutely. I actually, you know, for those of you that are familiar with the whole Titanic thinking, I shut my compartments. I literally okay. have a visual illustration in my mind of I'm closing the compartments and I move them to one side. Um, and there's, there's a great there's a great technique with that with really stuff that you shouldn't be bothered with, where I actually put it in a steel container and wrap a chain around it and throw it in the sea. But that's for another day. <laughs> um, and then the other one, which um, I'm really big on, I. I try to do my best to not look at my phone, but I do, right? Yeah. I'm a human being. I, I, I'm not infallible. I, I listen to Michelle's videos on LinkedIn and think, God, I'm, so, you know, I've got to do more of this stuff. I, I'm, the, I'm good with the mind, not necessarily with that. But <laughs> I, I make a point of not going on LinkedIn or any business-related yeah, yeah, yeah. social yeah, media. Yeah, yeah. Great, because, great. because exactly what you said, Hisham, if I do that, if I jump onto my LinkedIn feed and I see one tiny thing that sparks, I'm then business planning in my head. Or yeah, I'm yeah, 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 and I can't I can't shut down. So those are the two yeah. things that I do. No, I really like that yeah. sort of making peace of your day. I think that's awesome. That's something that yeah. I could definitely do more of. Um, Michelle, what, what about you? What are sort of your non-negotiables? Um, yeah. So mine actually starts the day before. So um, what you do first thing in the morning completely impacts what your sleep is going to be like for the night. So first thing in the morning, I get up and I go outside. Um, Great if it's a walk or a run or a bike ride, but even if it's just physically taking your morning coffee outside, what happens when the sunlight hits your retinas, and I'm not suggesting you stare at the sun and blind (laughs) it, get sunlight into your eyes because it starts a hormone process and it basically switches off your melatonin, which is your sleep hormone. It turns on your serotonin, which is your day hormone. And then basically it starts the whole hormone process, which completely impacts you at night. So those people who are going to bed later, getting up later, rolling straight out of bed to their machine, staying at the machine all day, and then wondering why they're not sleeping at night, just putting in that break first thing in the morning where you get daylight in your eyes will actually mean that your body process will start to work so my first one is daylight in the morning and my second one is we are ultimately adult babies and if I gave you a child and said you're responsible for putting that child to bed tonight you would have some even if I don't have children but I know that you probably feed them about half six you probably 
put Bartham about seven, put them in bed for half seven, read them a story. Ideally, they're in bed for eight, ideally. But we have processes that we work with children to get them sleeping perfectly. And then as adults, we basically rip up the rule book. Yeah, I'm going to ignore all of that and then expect to have a good night's sleep. So it's kind of like rewinding and going, what would you do if your child wasn't sleeping properly? How would you enable it? You wouldn't put an iPad in front of their face just before bedtime. You'd make sure that their bed was really comfy, that it was dark, that it was quiet and give them sort of, it's like going into a hotel room, isn't it? Where you go, I know I'm going to sleep really well tonight. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. They've got those thick curtains that keep all the lights out. Um, So it's just looking at sleep hygiene and sort of making sure that you're doing everything that you can. Awesome. Last but not least, Katie, any, what's your... Yeah. I think um, Michelle and I are the exact same human because I actually talk about... (laughs) In exactly the same way. I actually don't say it's not what you do in the evening, it's what you, how you start your day. Um, so I'm actually an ex-insomniac, to be completely honest with you. So I've actually suffered from insomnia most of my teenage and adult years. So one of the biggest things was actually having my morning routine down pat. So no phone, checking my phone in the morning, making sure I go outside to get some fresh air, um, setting up my day in a calm way without having that stress and impact of looking at an email or something, you know, straight up in the morning. So actually allowing my body to pretty much set up for the day. Um, My evening routine, again, would be switching off from everything. I'm one of those people that, you know, if I exactly like Rhonda and Hashem, if I see something, I'm one of those people that will be like, I've latched onto it and I'll make a about it. I've got like another couple of things that I want to do. Um, The other night I couldn't sleep properly and I created a whole webinar. Just (laughs) I was like, Probably don't do that again. Um, but it also, <laughs> me, for me, I actually try and not talk to people um, after about 8, 30, 9 o'clock at night because I actually find that that stimulates me. The other thing that I will say for people that are in that moment of not being able to sleep and having that sort of vicious cycle of I'm not sleeping, I'm going to feel pretty crappy tomorrow, is actually just be okay. It's just like if I don't sleep, I'm going to be okay and it's not the end of the world, I will be able to just reset tomorrow. I'm going to stick to my structure and I'm going to do it tomorrow and be okay with that. Because otherwise you fight it. If you if you keep fighting it, you're not going to be able to get back to yeah. sleep. So yeah. accept that. You might just have had a bad night's sleep, but that's, that's okay. And you can also choose. This is the other thing. You can actually choose how you want to feel in the morning. If you want to be pissed off, you can be pissed off. If you go, do you know what? I'm going to make the most of the day even though I haven't slept. I'm going to do what I can today. It actually shifts the mindset from everything's really bad. I'm having, going to have a bad day. I'm going to feel shitty too. It doesn't really matter. I'm going to I'm going to do the best I can. I'm going to be as productive as I can, and just and and sort of, sort of having that mindset piece there is what yeah. I. No, awesome. My, pay, yeah. my yeah. husband said something really good on that, and he's he's not a mindfulness coach or any sort of mm-hmm. mental health coach, but he said something quite good on it. Um, like when you're, you know, if you're lying in bed, even if you're not asleep, you're still letting your body rest. Do you know what I mean? So it's kind of quite nice just to accept that, oh, leave my body's rest. My body's being held. I'm in this yeah. place. It's nice and dark. It's nice and quiet. Yeah. And you know, even if you're not like fast asleep, having that amazing sleep that you wanted, it's like, well, I'm still giving my body a chance to relax. And that's okay right now. That's, that's enough. I can just chill yeah. here. I can listen to a meditation or a sleep music or something and it's okay that I'm not actually sleeping which goes with what Katie was saying about like it's okay like you know to not always have the best night's sleep ever like you still mm-hmm. you will survive you will you know function yeah um so, 
No, thanks for sharing that. And then, yeah, look, we've got some some really good questions coming in that I'm I'm going to get to, but just just really keen to um, segue into practical ideas. And look, people got saying, yeah, not being on my phone or start obviously drinking water. That that's a big thing for me. As soon as I wake up, I drink a lot of water. Um, that that massively helps me as well. Um, but look, Emma, let, let's come back to you because I think the segue is quite nicely into it, and we were. Um, talking about it which was one of the sort of real practical things you want to talk about Emma was basically letting yourself be in it and sort of experience the the feelings is yeah. sort of a, an advice or things you speak to people about so why don't you just expand on that a bit yeah people? so like basically I, I reached burnout that's what sort of got me into exploring all of this and and part of the reason I genuinely believe I got to that point was because I was just disconnected from myself I was so used to pushing so used to achieving um you know just going 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 and if things come up that I didn't really want to feel or think about then I would just you know lock them up and throw away the key like I wouldn't let myself feel it like why would I why would I want to let myself feel sad you know I wanted to feel happy all the time so if I felt sad I'd be like whoa nasty nasty bad emotion (laughs) Like put it away, and what I've learned over the you know many years that I've been studying this and studying myself because it's like really interesting to study yourself. It's amazing, um, is to realise that you know these are, all emotions are valid. Like no matter how you're feeling, it's valid, and we give them we give some emotions so much power when really if we just let ourselves feel that emotion, accept that we're feeling that emotion right now. Like I'm feeling shit. I'm feeling really sad. Let yourself feel sad. Like, how does it feel in your body? What comes up in your head? Cry, scream, shout, whatever. Let yourself feel it. And you know what? It goes so much quicker. It just goes quicker. If you try and suppress it and hold it down and say, I'm not doing that, it just keeps coming back up. It's like a, I always think it's like a ball in a swimming pool. You know, you push the ball down. You know, eventually it's going to flip and come up and bang on the back of the head. So you might as well just let yeah. the ball bob around and it will bob off. That's, and that's a good analogy. Mm. So okay. feel your feelings. They're all valid. Even if you're having, you know, you feel so fortunate because you've got a beautiful house and your kids are healthy mm. and everybody knows healthy and you're on furlough and you still feel shit, that's okay. It's okay yeah. to still feel shit. Just let yourself feel shit and then move on. Yeah, can, no, I just, can I jump? Can I just jump in on that as well about the feelings and the emotions and the crying? If you stop yourself from crying, you actually release cortisol. It, yeah. So it's even though you think that you're going to feel, you're holding it back because you don't want to cry, you don't want to feel even worse. By doing that exact thing, you are having an adverse effect on. So your like body. you, make, so when you say that, you're making your body more stressed. Like yeah. It's so if you just, yeah, yeah. If, you, if you just cry then it's a better flow in terms of your chemicals. And then, as Emma said, you get to what I call you gear change into choosing then the behaviour and the outward action. Yeah, no, that's that. awesome. No, thank you, Emma. So, look, I want to I wanna ask this um, question that Ross Taylor submitted, which I think is a, a great, great, great question. Um, so, Michelle, let me, let me come to you on this one. So, Ross's question is basically, what advice does the panel have for encouraging people to open up about how they're feeling when they are naturally uncomfortable talking about it, how can leaders get an authentic check on what's going on with their employees who don't want to talk about it? That I'm, I'm sure the, this is something that leaders think about and mm-hmm. um, it's a challenge. So what, what comes up for you when I ask that question? 
this happens quite a lot. And actually, I have sort of leaders who say, I'm struggling to get people to talk about how they're feeling. Can I book them a session with you so that you can try? One thing actually that I've been doing is on my talks at the beginning in the chat box, I get people to say where in the country they are and one word to explain how they feel that day. And I say, please don't put motivated just because your boss is on here. Um, (laughs) You're getting overwhelmed, tired, sad. And it's about kind of um, that then gives the bosses a chance to go, oh, okay, actually, maybe that person needs a bit of support. But I've got a, a great sort of this is a tool that I, I got from a guy that I know, a guy who um, called Craig Grant. He runs a recruitment business called City Tech. And um, he talked to me about asking people twice. So if you ask someone the first time, how are you? Let's be honest. We all go, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. Yeah, fine. yeah, all right. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas you go, <laughs> no, how no, are no. you? And right. actually kind of ask the question a second time. People are, firstly, it gives them a bit of time to sort of go, oh, actually, I said I feel fine, but I don't, we're talking about how our bodies feel. I don't feel mm. fine. Um, and then they're more likely to open up. But I do think that maybe you need to look at sort of who's the person asking those questions. So companies that have got mental mm. health leaders kind of selected because um, maybe they, they have a different way about them. They're, they're sort of, um, whether it's that they're sort of, more approachable or whatever it might be. So it might be that actually as the business leader, if you don't feel comfortable asking those questions, who in your business would be someone who could actually work with you? I know my husband used to have someone we referred to as his work wife. And um, she was basically like the person that would go, come on, we're going to go for a walk. We're going to go and have a chat. And people just felt so comfortable talking to her, which meant that he knew that, sort of he didn't have to kind of um not worry about it of course he worried about it but that she was looking after those people so yeah that's what she's good at yeah I think that's awesome. if, it's, if it's not your natural way that's absolutely fine um but who is see who yeah. is there that can be that person that sort of that ear to listen to and for people to know that they're not going to be judged because people are too scared at the moment to say they're struggling because what if i lose my job mm-hmm. um, but also to know it's confidential so that's the most key thing. If someone's going to open up to you about whatever they're feeling, they need to trust that this isn't getting reported back and a black yeah. is being kind of put by their name for the future. Yeah, no, great advice there, uh, Michelle. And Katie, let me um, come to you on this to maybe add some more. But I, I, lo- I love that, how ask the how are you twice. I think that's such a practical thing you can do. And it, it, it generally stops you in your tracks which is sometimes something that you need because you don't normally get asked how are you twice yeah. like it's how you yes great and then it's on to the just carry on so i love that um okay what anything to add on sort of yeah what what leaders can do to try and encourage people to open up or find that difficult what yeah what um a lot of the times i think leaders now we've been talking about you know being vulnerable and, and how to encourage vulnerability in the workplace and you know, we've been talking about it so much, but I think that you've got to recognize, you've got to see where you are currently, the culture that you currently have, and how far away are you from actually developing that vulnerability? You're not going to flip a switch and go, oh, let's all be vulnerable now. Like, I feel really comfortable. You've actually got to build that trust up. You've got to build the new structures up. Mm. And I think sometimes looking at a long-term plan as well as a short-term plan is really important. So, how can we build up that trust? How can we encourage people to be vulnerable? And I think in the recruitment um, industry, I have seen a pretty big shift in people trying to be more vulnerable. It's just, you know, recruitment companies seem to be on sort of like, hey, let's let, let, let's sprint a marathon. It's like, no, it's a marathon. We've got to, we've got to slowly build up the, 
the people. We've got to be encouraging. And also as leaders, they have to work on their own own comfortable being comfortable with being vulnerable and yeah. building up that that um, that process for themselves. The one thing that I always get asked when I'm sort of talking to business leaders is like, oh, I can see so-and-so is not coping. But every time I say, I can see you're not coping, they're not really responding. And it's like, yeah, because you're making them feel bad. They're like, oh, they're like, I didn't realize, you know, a lot of the times people think that no one really knows what's going on around them. But when you go up to someone, it's like, hey, I see you're not coping. It's like, holy shit, am I going to lose my job? Like, are you yeah. saying that I can't do my job? So it's being able to to understand the the emotional cues. And I love the asking, how are you twice? Because I yeah, actually do awesome. that to people myself. I'm like, so how are you? It's like, yeah, you know, how really are you? Like, what, <laughs> yeah. like yeah. and I think yeah. that... Um, I think being comfortable knowing that you might, as a leader, you might not be the best person to have those conversations and, mm-hmm. and encouraging um, that within the work in, in the team is really important as well. But that's yeah. all I would add to that. Yeah, that's great. Um, so Rhonda, obviously what you wanted to talk about in terms of practical advice, which I think is really important, is realigning expectations. And I think that, that can help a lot of people. So why don't we talk a bit about that? Yeah, um, I think this is counts for us as individuals and us in the workplace as well um we're really hard on ourselves let's go back to that productivity the pressure and all the things that we're handling with handling um when we realign our expectations what we're doing is we're saying that the goals that we're setting ourselves to achieve are easier in grasp they're they're closer for us to reach and and by doing that and by realigning them we're gonna achieve our goals ambitions whatever it is um actions much easier and faster and every time we do that we are going to release our little surge of dopamine one of our happy chemicals and dopamine is what we feel when we are anticipating a reward so it works on a couple of different levels because if we realign the expectations of ourself then there is less chance that we're going to get these what I call the negative automatic thinking. Um, And if we do it in terms of what we apply it to the workplace and what we're doing, we can take more breaks, we can do the mini goals, we can do the sprints and we can stop being as hard on ourselves. And it's that compassion that we have for ourselves in these situations, which can make a massive difference rather than beating ourselves up, rather than thinking we haven't achieved enough. We can say, right, this is what I'm going to set out to achieve today. And maybe Mm -hmm. you're going to achieve five, six, seven things instead of one massive thing. And it's quite, it is alien for us in recruitment to do this because we've been brought up with the, this is your target. These are your incentives. This is how we want you to be driven and motivated. But we must remember that every single one of us has individual drivers and motivators tapped into our core, our perception, our frame of reference and stuff like that. So how I access my happy chemicals are going to be so different to how you access yours, Katie accesses hers and so on and so forth. And this is where leaders miss a little bit of a trick, you know, and, and the whole piece for me around if we Somebody said it earlier on, if we can understand some base science behind how we think and how we feel, it's much easier for us to not almost have this personal view and say, God, I'm terrible. My life's crap. I'm not good at anything. We can separate the identity and the behavior. And that's really, really powerful. It's like yeah. I, talk, I talked about this yesterday. For those of us that have got kids, when you tell a kid, you know, no, you're naughty, that's terrible. Yeah, it damages them as an individual. And it's the same for ourselves and, our, and, and how we manage. When we say to our kids, that's not good behavior, 
Yeah, I didn't like that you did that. That wasn't good behaviour. We're not saying that we we don't love them or there's a problem with them. We're saying that those actions weren't right for what we expect. So those clear expectations of ourselves, and if you are a leader, those expectations of the people around you, yeah, you need to communicate. You need yeah. to be transparent and you need mm-hmm. to be clear. And it makes a huge mm-hmm. difference. I, mm-hmm. I could talk about that for ages. So yeah, no, <laughs> I think um, so... I a um a uh, billing manager on the last one I did of these uh, said it uh, really well because we were talking about changing expectations of their staff how they've managed it and that was a big question for a lot of people as to how they're measuring success or activity of their staff and productivity and she put it in the really obviously you, you hear the advice all the time focus on the things that you can control control the controllables and she just tied in there with the expectations so she said what well, what we've done is adapted our expectations of our staff expectations of ourselves only on things we can control. Yes. And I think that that really helps is that because if your expectations are just on sort of things that you can't quite control, you can have an impact. You can't control that. That can even foster even more of um, you being mean to yourself and, and not being kind to yourself because of that. So I think that's um, great. So quick, a great question come from Charles Curtis. Emma, let me come to you on this one is. I think this is a great question. What what things can managers look for or test to establish any mental health red flags? with their consultants what comes up for you um on that it's tricky really i think this is because it's like what's a red flag for one person is different for a red flag yeah. for someone else um and obviously if you've got very strong relationships with your team it's probably a little bit easier to identify the other thing with red flags as well is people are really good at hiding them like really good <laughs> at hiding like we said it's like okay i'm not going to go on my video i'm going to so it's like dying today because I'm feeling like shit. Like, but yeah. So it's really noticing anything that's different. Like, you know, are they overworking? Are they are they like are you getting emails from them at ten o'clock at night? Are they are they being uncertain in themselves? Are they wanting to check in all the time? Like, is this okay? Should I do this? Like, um, you know, when they'd normally just go ahead and do stuff, you know, mm. when they're constantly sort of overchecking and, and finding it difficult to make decisions for themselves. That's usually all the confusion that comes when you're stressed and the stress hormones in your body leads to confusion, leads to not being able to make decisions. Um, I'd say, again, people who are avoiding the, the conversation about mm. how you're feeling. So, like, generally speaking, most of us are getting into the pattern, I think. Like, you first wonder how you're coping, how you're getting on with it all. If they're completely shutting you down on that conversation yeah. time and time again, asking once, asking twice, and the next yeah. time asking again, if they're shutting you down, it could be a red flag that they really, really are holding it all in, yeah. holding it all in and not wanting to see it. Um, and we go into, again, how to get through those red flags is, is for me, is the managers and the leaders showing their vulnerability. So even yeah. if it's saying, and again, it doesn't always have to be bad, I, you know what? We, we talk about this stuff and like it can get a bit depressing, no pun intended, yeah. you know what I mean, with mental health. And it's like, actually, you know, you can phone someone and say, oh, my God, I had such a shit day yesterday. Like My kids were driving me mad. <laughs> it was terrible. Um, I hated life and I hated everything. Um, yeah, but I went out for a run and I feel a bit better today. How are you doing? How, do you, how are you coping? Do you have any bad days? And that level then yeah. gives them the chance. If, you, if you've seen those red flags, it gives them the chance to kind of, do it but really i think it's got to be a consistent approach you've got to be asking this to everyone because as the people will hide their red flags they will they will hide yeah it's definitely difficult isn't it michelle anything to um add 
I think the thing with it is anxiety is kind of a secondary emotion that is often invisible. So not only to others where you put that mask on, but it can actually be invisible to yourself. I know personally, I went on a three-year journey of sickness, exhaustion, um, and I had no idea it was related to stress because I was just used to feeling that way. So I think sometimes it's kind of, and what happens when we're in that state of anxiety, as Emma was kind of talking about, is that the prefrontal cortex, which is the decision-making part of our brain, switches off. We literally lose our mind. So when you're like, I don't know who to call, I don't know, how do I do a reference call? How do I use LinkedIn anymore? When you start to kind of go that, it's going, okay, the anxiety is kicking in. But I think it's so much about the seniors speaking up. So when I do the talks and I get this Q&A bits at the end, when the senior people start saying, I'm struggling, I'm not sleeping, I'm just fed up of trying to do BD calls when no one, I I can't even get through to them because sort of, there is no longer the reception person that you try and get past. Um, by them opening up, you suddenly start to see Other people. people follow. Follow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now this is okay for me to say, actually, I'm the same. I'm drinking too much. I'm not sleeping well. I'm getting sort of panic attacks or whatever it is that's going on. So um, mm. it's those small changes. If someone sort of is normally really sort of bubbly and they become a bit quiet or if they're normally a bit quiet and they suddenly become a bit bubbly, it's like keeping a little check that... On those things. Yeah. I like that. Um, Okay, just conscious of time. Obviously, Michelle, what I know what you was really keen to speak about, which is obviously sort of how we're going to close off this session is sort of the power of breathing and and why it helps. So why don't we touch on that and talk about that for a second then I'd love to just go around and sort of talk about what kindness means to you and then we'll finish this off so yeah Michelle why don't we talk a bit about that okay so for me everything really starts with the breath and this is not woo woo hippie oming this is science this is about the fact that when we are stressed our adrenaline and our cortisol levels go up to basically get us away from danger when we're anxious the prefrontal cortex switches off And what deep breathing does is it sends a message to your brain to say you are no longer in danger. So therefore, your stress hormones can reduce and your brain can turn back on. So I think people completely sort of um, the the challenge with any form of breath work is either people haven't tried it because why would I or they've tried it and it didn't work for them. But it's called a practice. You've got to find what works for you. You've got to find the time of day. Do you like to sit up or lie down? Do you like someone's certain voice? Um, And it's like we talked about running a marathon. You wouldn't do it on your first run. You would train for it. So a lot of work that I do is actually about getting people to try it, getting them to see that feeling that just in a couple of minutes, your whole body just starts to feel calmer because you have changed the chemicals in your body. Anyone who's ever heard about Wim Hof, he's known as yeah. the Ice Man. He's yeah. a brilliant Dutch guy. Look him up. Um, he basically has done crazy feats of sort of like climbing Everest in a pair of shorts through his breath. Um, my husband is a breath coach and he's working with athletes to increase their sports performance. He's working with CEOs to get them sleeping better. He's working with people who are going through surgery to get them recovering better, all through actually managing their breath using the oxygen properly um so yeah for me 
any time I any talk that I do, any time I talk to anyone is like, let's do some breathing. We all think we do it properly, and yet we don't. We mainly do it wrong, and it's so simple and it's free. So don't go to Holland and Barrett and buy your vitamin <laughs> D, protein powders. Like, just breathe. Um, yeah. So yeah, and when and when you say just just quickly, Michelle, when you're talking about those things, like, does that mean that it has to be meditation? So I normally don't call it meditation because yeah. people have a bit of a sort of a. Oh, That's what I mean, yeah, because people might be thinking that it's yeah. just breathing, simple as yeah. that. Whether there, there's so many different types, there's relaxation meditations, there's visualization, there's affirmation, there's breath work, but ultimately it's just breathing. Breathing, it exactly. Yeah. Really the the bit the big yeah the bit the biggest misconception like I've meditated for a while on and off sometimes it's been always in my day sometimes it hasn't but the biggest misconception is that you have to sit there and not and like empty your thoughts and you're not going to think about anything which is the just complete wrong thing it's just about getting better at see noticing that you've drifted off and you come back to the breath noticing you drift off again and come back to the breath yeah. and you're not going to sit there and not think about anything that just isn't going to happen it might but it probably isn't and I think yeah. that's obviously a common thing isn't it that people um, sort of think that's what they have to do like they and that worries people having to yeah. sit there and just not thinking about how the hell am I going to do that like if you take five minutes in a day to sit and actually just think, is that a bad thing? Or if you do a meditation and you fall asleep, is that a bad thing? No, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like, exactly, yeah. It's whatever you need to get out of it. Sometimes I want to feel really calm. Sometimes I want energy. Sometimes I want to have a good cry. Sometimes I want clarity of thought. It's like there are so many different types. Yeah. It's about finding what you need at the time of day that you need it. Um, and literally it is so transformational but it's like building any habit habits are based on success nothing to do with repetition and when you try to meditate and it didn't work for you you feel you failed so you don't bother building the yeah. habit yeah, yeah. yeah. Love that. well look, we're definitely gonna do some breath work today which I'm excited for so let, let's just go around Kate let me start with you um obviously with the theme this year being kindness what what does kindness or what does what yeah what does kindness mean to you Katie when with that being the theme what what does that mean to you yeah so for me I'm probably you know I'm my worst enemy majority of the time and so sometimes I'm paying attention to the words that I'm saying to myself and actually going I would never speak to anyone regardless if they were my mm-hmm. friend or an enemy like that so actually having those moments and taking uh, taking a massive step back and actually really evaluating where I am and being really happy and kind of proud of what I've achieved and where I'm at and how I'm going and just having, I'm really paying attention to my wins and not where I failed or not what I haven't succeeded at because realistically I burnt out twice in recruitment purely based on the fact of looking at all the areas that I wasn't doing a good job and I wasn't, you know, it was trying to be better than, you know, where I was, but realistically actually appreciating I'm on a journey and I've done freaking awesome and actually being really kind and, and um, you know, mindful of the fact that, hey, I'm on a journey. This ain't a, you know, this ain't a, a race like you and embracing everything that's coming along and also having those mental checks of having understanding like wins and actually knowing, you know what, I'm doing okay. I'm doing the best I can. And that's completely fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Love that. Emma, what does kindness mean to you? Um. It's getting to know yourself, like spending the time to get to know yourself and then learning that 
you know, what you might label as good or bad is all part of you and just learning to kind of love those bits. And it doesn't come overnight again, like the breath work or anything. It takes practice to kind of go, oh my God, I'm such a dick about that sort of stuff. And then going like, <laughs> why am I? And exploring that and kind of sort of getting to the, a place of acceptance and a place of non-judgment about yourself and saying, okay, well, that's that that's what I did then and that's okay and that that self-exploration for me is kindness to myself understanding that you know what I'm all about what I need and when I need it like what's good for me and what isn't when I'm when I'm getting tired like you know when I'm getting tired I'm getting grouchy why am I carrying on like being kind to myself is saying actually you're getting grouchy because you're tired so go and sit down have a cup of tea stop Mm. for a bit um so but it all comes to getting to know yourself so that you can be kind to yourself and you know what you actually need love that awesome Rhonda what does kindness mean to you I'll be really quick um for me personally it means compassion um Mm. you know guys have touched on it but I start start with compassion compassion um is behavior whereas kindness is an action um for other people it's the difference between empathy and sympathy sympathy Mm. is divisive sympathy is almost a position it's a power play where you know you could say to somebody oh yeah I feel sorry for you but you're not actually feeling it so employing the empathy where you really understand the situation or you can imagine being in that same situation is just vital love that Mm -hmm. Michelle um so the ladies have done brilliantly talking about self-care and self-love which is where it starts you've got to put the oxygen mask on yourself first um but also for me kindness and one of the great things towards sort of helping mental health as it's mental health awareness week is actually kindness to others um yeah. it feels really good doesn't it when you do something nice for someone else and at the moment I'm the sort of the volunteer for my street and I go and I get shopping for vulnerable people and oh my goodness sort of it's that's almost right. a selfish act because I'm doing something that's for them, but I feel great for it. <laughs> Kindness yeah. is like the cycle, isn't it? Is that yeah. sort of, yes, be kind to yourself because if you're not kind to yourself, you can't be there for anybody else. And managers and leaders, you need to really take that on board when you're just holding the weight of everybody on your shoulders. But also small little things to help other people, it's also going to make you feel so mm. positive release all the happy hormones, which all helps with mental health. <laughs> I love that. And just quickly before we go into the, the breath work, Michelle, it was just a question by Megan Smith, and I think it's just a real practical one that people like to ask. So let me come back to you, Michelle. And um, What's your like go-to book recommendation for mental well-being or mental health that typically right. you recommend? I've got this about my, number one, my number one. This is for people who suffer, but this is also for people who live or have friendships with people who suffer. It's called Reasons to Stay Alive. It's by Matt Haig. My husband struggles with his mental health. He talks very openly about it. Um, And I must admit, when I met him, my thought was, snap out of it. Come on. Come on, mate. I can't deal with this. Um, And then he gave me this book to read. It's not a very big book. It's really nicely written. It's this guy's story of his journey through depression. And it opened my eyes. And there's a quote in there. He says that, Trying to explain depression to someone who's never struggled is like trying to explain Earth to an alien. And it literally, even now, that makes stopped, me... It stopped in your tracks. Yeah. Um, it made me realise that this is not snap out of it. This is actually... People are having to deal with this. It's a constant battle. And you have good days and you have bad days. So okay. for me, 
that book. Michelle, just... could you put the title and author in the chat and then some people oh, can go, yeah. Rhonda, what's your go-to book recommendation? God, I talk about it all the time. It's Carol Dweck's work on mindset. So Carol Dweck, mindset, um, you know, she's a Stanford psychologist who's pioneered the whole growth mindset yeah. concept. It's a great read. It's not dry. It's not boring science. And there's some good business as well as personal stuff in there. Love that. Emma? I can't do this. I literally read all the time. And you can tell me this because I've got so many Sorry. books. I, I, for, um, for general, like, like I kind of like reading stuff that are quite uplifting as well. So instead of it, if, you, if you're not necessarily suffering from depression or anxiety or stress, but you want to just keep, you know, giving yourself happy vibes, um, I quite like You Are a Badass. By okay. Jen you are a badass, okay. You are a badass. There's two. There's, you are a badass. Um, oh, God, sorry. Yeah, no worries. Uh, yeah, you are a badass. And the other one is you are a badass at making money. And it's okay. just like positive, positive, positive stuff. It's, um, yeah. it, as I said, not necessarily mental for anyone suffering yeah. mental health. It's just giving the little positive. Yeah, love that. Um, I mean, my, mine would be, um, mine would be, um, and then Kate, I'll come to you. Mine would be uh, Power of Night Now, Eckhart Tolle. That had a big impact on me. I, I, I found it hard to read that first, but and then I sort of picked it up again. And then, and then the other one that people should definitely check out, it would just actually give you a lot of education, is um, Johan Hari on called Lost Connections. Uh, um, yeah. And that that's just a just an amazing book where you actually get an actual real insight into what the fuck th this whole thing is about and yeah. the actual reality and people's stories and stuff there's a podcast um, for that as well i think podcast as well yeah, yeah. It's, it, it's awesome it, it really is and he's been on his own journey with it as well super vulnerable and goes through that um katie last but not least what what's your book recommendation for people yeah so i'm actually got two so i would actually say i think it's braving the wild by brene brown i think that's a really good that's a really good book especially if you're looking at vulnerability and the second second book that I actually think is really easy, it's a very easy read, um, is The Chimp Paradox. And I'm blanking on the guy's name, but I think it's yeah. like Steve. So I actually think that that's an awesome book to read, especially if you're trying to understand emotions, anxiety, stress, and understanding, oh, hang on a second, like, you know, mm. how do I manage this? And I think that that's a good one. Cool. Well, look, so so I just want to put this to everyone. Obviously, it's it's um, five past 12. Michelle very kindly sort of willingly said that she's going to take us through a bit of a, a, a five-minute breath exercise with, with us talking about this, blah, blah, blah. So we're going to, obviously, four of us here are going to sit here and probably look quite stupid on the screen. Um, but look, so thank you so much, everyone, for joining. Feel free to join in with this. Feel free to leave. That's absolutely fine. Um, no offense taken, but Michelle very kindly is going to take us through a bit of a breath exercise to finish this off, which will be a couple of minutes, and then um, we'll leave. We'll obviously I'll end this if um, I don't fall asleep. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited. I started breathing the minute you mentioned breath. I was like, yes, baby, bring yeah. it on. Bring so, yeah, it Michelle, on. Michelle, over to you. Okay, so we'll keep it sort of, we've overrun, so I'll keep it sort of short and sweet, but this is so you can actually just get a feeling of what it feels like. So don't close your eyes yet, but you will do in a minute. I want you to sit yourself up straight with your feet flat on the floor. If you're sat on the floor, sit cross-legged, however's comfortable, but kind of ground yourself, but your back up straight so that your ribs are all open because your ribs are meant to be like that. And when we sit all day, our ribs go like that, which means we can't breathe properly. 
I want you to relax your shoulders. And when we get going, I'll tell you what else to do with your face. But I'm just going to talk you through a really simple technique. It's called 448. And we're going to breathe in for a count of four. We're going to hold for a count of four. And we're going to breathe out for a count of eight. I'm going to talk you through it twice. And then you're going to do two rounds at your own pace because I might count quicker than you breathe. If possible, I want this all in and out of your nose. Your nose is for breathing and smelling. Your mouth is for eating and talking. If medically you can't breathe through your nose, then contact me separately. We can talk about that. But if possible, please breathe through your nose. I'm going to want you to put your hands, palms up on your lap. The reason for palms up, firstly, there's a lot of nerve endings in your hands. But also, if you look at my shoulders, when my palms are down, my chest closes in. When my palms are up, my chest opens up. So you're going to sit upright. You're going to put your palms somewhere comfortably in your lap. Now I want you to close your eyes. Now, because I can't see you all, when you finish doing this, I'd love if you could put one word in the chat to just tell me how you feel. So close your eyes, relax your shoulders, relax your face. If you've got any little scrunch in your face, that little kind of stress feeling, just try and relax it. I want you, if possible, to let your tongue sit in the top of your mouth. That's where it's meant to sit. Most of the time, it doesn't. So here we go. Remember, in and out of the nose. Breathe in for four. Three, two, one. Hold for four. Three, two, one. Breathe out for eight. Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Breathe in for four. Three, two, one. Hold for four. Three, two, one, breathe out for eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Now two more rounds at your own count. Okay, so when you're finished, just put one little word in the chat so I know that you finished. It was short, it was sweet, there's a lot more to it. But what I just wanted to show you was that was less than a minute. So throughout the day, when you're stressed, you've had a difficult call with a client or a candidate's not doing what you're hoping they would do, you can simply take one minute out. You can do it standing up, you can do it sitting down, and it is just about that deep breath, as you would have breathed out, you would have felt your body relax. You are changing the chemistry of your body. This is not woo-woo. But for anyone that likes the feeling of that and wants to try something else, go and follow this account on Instagram. Love to learn to. They do two free breathwork sessions a week on a Wednesday and a Sunday evening. It's amazing breathwork. It's to fantastic music. It takes you on a journey. 
And whether you are struggling to sleep, whether you are struggling to have clarity of thought, whatever, you will come out of it feeling better. I'm loving there. We've got aware. We've got content. We've got clear. We've got lifted. We've got relieved. You're like, come on, anyone on here who sort of do this with your teams every morning when you do your morning chat before you actually kind of finish it off. Just do a minute of four, four, eight, because it is setting you up for the day. Anyone who's struggling to sleep, do it before you go to sleep as well. Now, Michelle, that was awesome. Sometimes it's a bit like if you don't have the voice for it, but you've definitely got a nice voice for that. To to (laughs) buy that. (laughs) Um, Look, I just wanted to say huge thanks to Michelle, Rhonda, Emma, Katie. Um, Thank you so much for being so open, honest, giving some real good advice, talking about this. Thank you, um, everyone, for joining us. Thanks for being vulnerable. And I would probably feel quite weird just sitting there and listening to Michelle and doing this. So honestly, well done you. And um, thanks for joining us. Hope you got tremendous amounts of value for it. I know that these lovely ladies, if you ever did want to speak to them or have any troubles or issues or whatever, honestly, reach out to them. Make sure you connect with them. um, And they're the people that you should know. So big thank you, guys. Um, I really appreciate it. Thanks for having us.